So if you'll join me on the back of your bulletin or on the screen or in your Bible, we're going to be reading from Philippians 2 this morning. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the sunshine um, after a long week of rain. Uh, we thank you uh, for everyone that's here this morning. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord. I just pray that you're present th this morning, Lord, and that you speak through Brian. Um, Lord, open our ears and our hearts to receive your truth. Lord, I pray that we would be a people uh, that continue to strive to learn more and more about you um, every day uh, and every week. Jesus, we love you so much, and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. We are jumping back into our Philippians study. We started our study in the book of Philippians uh, in, uh, in October of last year and did it for a few weeks. And then, uh, as we all know, the fire started, so that um, delayed things. But we are back in our study of Philippians. So I invite you to um, have your Bible there and uh, follow along. Um, many weeks ago, we passed out um, copies of the book of Philippians, and it had notes on one side. And so I invite you to, um, to study and read along with us as we study the book of Philippians. Also on the church app, there is a link for you to have access to an audio version of the book of Philippians. So during the week, if you want that to be part of your devotional reading time, um, that's what I've been doing uh, the last week or so. And um, to read chapter one of the book of Philippians takes about three minutes. So a couple of resources there for you. Um, something happened in my life um, this week that hasn't happened in a really long time, and that is um, I needed glasses. <laughs> so it's been a long time since I've had glasses, but last week when I was up here, and it's kind of gradually been happening, I haven't been able to read my Bible, which makes it really kind of uncomfortable if I'm standing up here and I can't read. So not a fashion statement, just want to see letters and words, and it's really fun to read again. <laughs> so <laughs> I've just been making everything up before this point. <laughs> so now I'm really reading the Bible. Wh I'm having a hard time, though, because I go like this, then I look up, and I'm then now I can't see you guys. So I'm like, <laughs> I got to do this. So I'm learning this process. 48, my doctor said it would happen when I was 40, so I lasted uh, eight years into my 40s <laughs> without reading glasses. The theme of this book called Philippians is that we are called to live as citizens of heaven. That There's a calling upon our lives to live in a way that is unique and different than the world that we live in. And it's a very, it's a meaningful book because there's no conflict. There's no tension between Paul and these believers. It's a book of encouragement, a book of calling, um, a book to bring joy into our lives and to help us live a certain way. Um, the passage this morning that we read is about the topic of obedience to Christ. We have categories of the Christian life, and let me give you an example. 
we would say that prayer is an important category. Prayer is an important part of the Christian life. Being a part of a church community, a church family, having close friends is a part, an important category of the Christian life. Reading your Bible, um, generosity, different, there are different parts of the Christian life that are important. But I would say that one of the most important, and maybe one of the least talked about, is the topic of obedience to Christ. And if you are here this morning and you are a believer and you have put your faith in Christ, it is worth it for us to go back to this topic and look at it and study it carefully of what does it mean to follow Christ in obedience. One of the things about studying the life of Christ and his teachings is there are many things that are attractive about it. And one of the things that's most appealing to me is that Jesus cannot be put into one camp. He's not a conservative. He's not a liberal. He's not this. He's not progressive. He's not old-fashioned. You, you can't put Jesus in your own personal box. He transcends that. There is an appeal. There's something interesting about Christ. But one of the challenges, one of the most important things that we can learn about Christ is that when he calls us to live a certain way, when he calls us to a life of obedience, we can sometimes say things like, that's narrow-minded. That's, that's good for some people. That's not good for me. A life of obedience is a true indication of your faith. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that, but let me just show you just even briefly, the words of Christ. And this is found in Luke chapter 6. We'll look at the words of Christ himself when he says, and I believe we have these on the, the TV screen as well. I'm going to try with my glasses so I won't make anything up. And Jesus says this, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And so Jesus, throughout his teaching, reminds his followers that he calls us to listen and hear, but then to also do. Paul uses the words in Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn back there. He says this, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your salvation. And so there, is Paul's words of saying this, that he calls us to a life of obedience. Here's the problem, and this is true of my life and it's true in all of our lives, that there's often a dichotomy, that there is a, an eagerness to follow Christ, a love to follow Christ. But when he touches on something that is sensitive to us, we have second thoughts. I've used this example before, and I'll use it now. When you go to the dentist and he starts touching your teeth with a little metal pokey thing and he touches a tooth that's completely healthy, 
It doesn't matter. It's fine. And then when he touches a tooth that has some part of unhealth in it, it hurts. And we pull away. And the same thing is true with Christ. When he says things that we like and we believe it and we affirm it, we're like, yes, we like this. And when he touches on something that's a little bit too sensitive, we pull away. And so Paul is reminding them, he's not scolding them, he's not correcting them, he's reminding them that to live out the Christian life, we are to live in obedience to Christ. And so here's what Paul does. He uses the words, work out your salvation. So here's how we'll break this down this morning. Number one is this. What does it mean to be obedient to Christ? Number two, why should we be obedient to Christ? Number three, how. So what, why, and how. So number one, Paul says this. Work out. Here's one way to understand this. Work out into your life what God has worked in. In verse 13, Paul says this. I'm going to figure this out because... I have to go back to this. It says, for it is God who works in you. So work out into your life what God has worked in. We are, um, we are people who have the gift of salvation, that God has changed our hearts. Now Paul says it is your responsibility to work it out, to figure out how it, it works itself out into your life. And so the question then is, what does that look like? What does this mean for us to do this? Well, Paul is going to give us um, some understanding of what this actually looks like. And let me, um, let me show you, if you have your Bible, turn a couple pages to Philippians chapter 3, verses uh, 8 and 9. And here's what Paul says. This is going to be really hard. Oh, I go like, oh, Renner says like this, off the tip of my nose. <laughs> I can't, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I need a big nose. <laughs> Boy, getting old is a pain, right? Oh, I can just go like this. All right, I'm going to read, I'm going to read verse 8 and 9, then I'll take these silly things off. Thank you, Dermot. Uh, verse 8 says this. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all these things and count it as rubbish in order that I may in Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ. So here's what Paul is saying, that the Christian life is found in him. This is the uniqueness of the Christian life, that our life is found in Christ. And the implication of that is this, and this is what he says in verse 9. It's not from being a good person. It's not from following the law. It's not from being a person who knows the Bible well. He says that's not at all. It comes through faith in Christ. So to be a person who is obedient to Christ, a person who is working out their salvation, working out what God has worked in, first and foremost, it's anchored and rooted in our identity in Christ. That that's who we are. It's not one um, that is rooted or motivated in performance. It's not one where we're trying to earn salvation. We are safe and secure in Christ. And Paul writes about this, and, and Jesus talks about this as well. One example would be this. If you are married, 
sometimes you'll hear people say things like, work at your marriage. Work at it. It takes work. In the same way, Paul is saying this, your salvation is safe and secure. You can't lose that, but what you're called to do is to think about how it works itself out into your life. Grow in salvation. Be active in learning. Don't stay stuck. Here are some synonyms. Explore, develop, cultivate, care for, delight in your salvation. Find out ways in your life that you can apply the gospel. Work out what God has worked in. Number two, why do we do it? What is the motivation? What is the motivation that we want to live this out? Obedience is a really interesting thing. Many years ago when I was a teacher, and this, this was um, early in my teaching career, I had this student who's, um, I think he's probably in his 30s now, very smart young man, and, and he was standing up in the corner, and I said to him, John, you need to, you need to sit down now. We're going to start class. And he didn't want to sit down. And I said, John, you need to sit down. We're going to start class. And then, you know, as a teacher, you kind of gradually raise up the, the, the degrees of things. Your voice changes a little bit, the tone a little bit. And so finally, maybe the third or fourth time, I'm like, no, you, you need to sit down. And one advantage of uh, teaching middle school kids, you're just bigger than them. So that's a little <laughs> intimidating. So finally, he sat down. But then he raised his hand and said, uh, Mr. Kelly, in my heart, I'm still standing. <laughs> Touche, right? <laughs> the motive of obedience is crucial. So that was motivation by fear and intimidation, right? But in his heart, I'm still standing. So Paul is saying this, the motive of why we follow Christ is really important. And we're not motivated, motivated by fear. We're not motivated by selfish gain. And if we're honest and we think about life a little bit, this is how religion operates. I'm motivated to be a good person because I want God to bless me. Or we can be motivated, like I said, out of fear. If I don't do this, God's going to get me. And Paul is saying that there's something deeper. There's something more meaningful. And that is this, that we all need the comfort of the gospel. We all need the love and assurance of the gospel before we think about how we live it out. So Paul is going to give us two reasons to live in obedience, two motivating factors. And if you have, if you have your Bible, we'll go back here. I'm going to try to put these back on and find where I'm at. Chapter 2, verse 12 begins with this word. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work at it. Whenever we see the word therefore, we want to go backwards. So here's what we're going to do. To learn about the motive, we're going to take two steps back and then we'll take one step forward into verse 13. The call upon our life is to work out what God has worked in. Look how it fits into your life, into your public life, how you're a student, how you work, how you interact with people. Look for ways to work it out. But now why do we do it? And he's going to go back to verses 9 through 11. I think we actually have this. This will be even better. I can, I can read this. Do we have... Verses 9 through 11? No? Okay. I'm sorry, Russell. It's in your, it, 
if you have your Bible, it's there, but I'll read it. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted Christ, him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul is saying this, the motive for obeying Christ, for walking in obedience is this, is that God has highly exalted Christ. Our motivation for obeying Christ is because God has highly lifted him up. He has super exalted him. And that leads us into the question, okay, well, why, why did he do that? Well, there's another therefore. And that takes us back to verses 3 through 8. So verse 9 begins with a therefore. And Paul says that Christ has been highly exalted by God the Father. Verses 3 through 8, here's our two steps back, explains why he is exalted. Let me read that. 3 through 8 says this. Actually, I'm going to... Um, start in verse 5. Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, pe- by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So, God the Father highly exalts Christ. Why does he do that? Because it says in those preceding verses that Jesus Christ emptied himself, that he took on the form of a servant. And here's that word obedience. And so Paul's point is this, that those who walk in obedience, those who take on the form of a servant, those who empty themselves, verse three says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did by becoming obedient to the will of the Father. And so Paul is is rooting the motivation for obedience to Christ in his son, Jesus Christ. He says this, have the same mind, think the way Jesus thought. And how did that happen? By ridding himself of his own ambitions by becoming a servant, by becoming obedient. And then our motive becomes one of love and delight. Think about how this works out in your own life. If the motive to follow directions, to do something, to follow Christ is one of delight and love versus selfish gain versus fear, one leads to a completely different lifestyle. One leads to um, joy and fulfillment and one leads to guilt. So Paul is saying this, that we are saved by faith alone in Christ. As a result of that working, we are called to work it out, to apply it, to make it active. But a growing faith, a saving faith, will be productive. One way to explain this, and this is, this is from the reformers from years ago, that obedience to Christ is a sign of salvation, but not a cause of it. Obedience to Christ is a sign of salvation, not a cause of it. So we can think about our lives and ask, how are you doing? How are you doing in following Christ? Here's the one step forward for the obedience. 
the motive. Verse 13 says this, for it is God who works in you. So God is the one who is working. What, what is the motivating factor for you to be obedient to Christ? That God is working in you. The creator God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe in this world is working in your life. That gives you hope. That gives you a cause to follow Christ. Well, how do we do this? Last point, number three, how do we do this? What, is, what does this actually look like? Well, Paul says this. He says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that is maybe um, a, a hard translation. It, these are hard words to translate accurately where we catch the meaning. Here's what it doesn't mean. It means that we are not to live our lives with fear of losing our salvation. It doesn't mean that we are to live in fear and, and, and a negative sense of self-torment where there's nervous anxiety. That is not what he is saying at all. There are other words we can use that, that kind of capture this. And the, the words that capture this are more words in line with reverence and deep awe and understanding. Um, wh- earlier in this week, I had to do an errand, and uh, I was out of town about an hour away, and I, I drove by a stream that for nine months out of the year, it's a stream that you can, you can wade across, just a little trickle. But because of the rains that we've been having, the, uh, the stream now is about 80 to 100 yards wide and rushing rapids. And I'm driving by, and I look out my window, and I see that, and I'm like, stop, okay, turn around, and I, wa- I want to go see it. Like, that's just, that attracts me. I don't know, like, there's power, there's beauty, but then there's reverent awe, because if you get too close to the edge, you're probably going to die if you fall in. It's, this happens all the time where we live, or maybe once or twice a year, when there's a large swell, and the beach fills with people, we don't get too close, except for maybe a few high-level surfers, but we're attracted to that. We're attracted. There's this reverent awe, and th- it's kind of a, a very, a, that's a lightweight example, but it's a picture of how we're to live our lives, and I think, I think we've slid way too far off in the casual Christianity in how we live our lives today. We've lost some sort of reverent awe. We've lo- there was a TV show that when I was a child, and I remember watching it, if you're my age, you'll remember Little House in the Prairie. <laughs> and there was a, wor- I don't know how I thought about this again, but here's what they said. This is what Pa would say about, I remember him saying something like this about a man. He said, that man, he's a God-fearing man. Do you remember that old-fashioned phrase? We don't even, we don't even talk like that anymore. We've, we want things comfortable, we want things gentle, we want things easy, we want things that fit us. And Paul says, that's not how you work it out. You are to have a sincere and deep and reverent awe for who God is. He's working in your life. He's not to be toyed with. That's one of the things, and I'll share more and more about my Israel trip, but one of the things that it was a deep contrast to our cultural Christianity in America is a lack of awe and reverence 
And it's, it's worth it for us to consider and think about how you live your life. What does that mean? What does that look like? Can you worship? Can you put your phone away? Can you, can you um, be honest with yourself and, and maybe do something like this? Keep track this week of how much time you spend reading or praying in contrast to screen time. How much time do we do Netflix versus how much reverent awe do we have for God? And here's what we, here's what we miss, I think. Our lives are shaped by little steps, little steps, little steps, little steps, and we just slide into comfortable, cultural, easy Christianity. And we lose the words of Christ when he says, you're called to follow me. You're called to live in obedience. You're called to sacrifice and to think and understand it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. And that's why these words, they're very literal words, fear and trembling. When you do a word say, they're, they're, those are literal words, but they don't quite necessarily capture the essence of it because today we equate that with um, self-torment or something like that. It's lifting up God. It's magnifying God. And when God is big and big and massive, it changes things. When I was standing by the stream and watching the rapids and there was huge boulders that last summer I was climbing around and on and uh, now because of all the rains, the water's flowing over these massive boulders. And I just, it was just a, a, a 20 minutes or so of me just have, reflecting and praying a little bit. And, but I think I was this, and I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about my wife, actually. She'd be saying things like, hey, don't get too close, because like my natural thing is like, I want to get a little closer. I think there's a calling upon our lives and our church life to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with more respect, more awe, more humility. Another word that that um, is used in, in studying this week is sober-mindedness. You're more alert. You're more aware. You're more attentive. How does the enemy work in your life? How does sin work in your life? Well, Genesis chapter 3 says this about the enemy. It says he crouches low like a cat. If you have a cat and he's going after something in your backyard, he gets low. He's hiding. And so this concept that Paul is talking about is this, is that are you aware? Are you alert? Are you aware of yourself? Are you aware of your own sinfulness? What is the situation in your own life when you are most tempted to sin? Is it after great success? When are you most likely tempted towards self-pity? When are you most likely tempted towards anger? Frustration. Paul's saying that these, these words, fear and trembling, um, they matter. So Paul is saying this, that the gospel was proclaimed in Philippi, that the people in, Philippians, in, the, in Philippi felt the weight of their sin and they heard the gospel, the good news, that they are forgiven and that they are loved and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. 
That was the gift, and now the, the call that Paul says is, is figure out how this works. What does this look like in your church life? Well, <coughs> this is going to be for next week, but let me just show you. Verse 14 says this, do all things without grumbling and complaining. So Paul says this. Here's one very specific way. Stop complaining. Think about this for a moment in our lives. Very few people would think of themselves as complainers. Here's the truth. We all complain a lot. <laughs> we all complain a lot. And sometimes, in all honesty, it's kind of embarrassing. It's, it, if you think about, and I know a lot of you have traveled around the world and see things, it can be embarrassing. It sh and I don't use this word very often, but maybe it fits here. It's shameful. The complaining. We all get to go home and have fresh, clean water. We have a blanket. We have beds. We have so many things. And Paul's saying here in this context that the working out of this salvation, one of the key things is you can get along with people. You're not a complainer. There will always be problems to be solved, but we solve problems without being complainers. This is one of the most um, meaningful and profound and, and requires a lot of thoughtfulness, not just one sermon, but I'm going to read it one last time. It's short. And it says this, Therefore, that's going back to Christ's exaltation because he humbled himself. So he's saying this, Humble yourself and you will be exalted. Continue on in obedience. And he's saying this. He's saying that the people in Philippi, they're, they're authentic, they're real, because he says they lived in obedience when Paul was with them and when Paul was gone. Not, this is, this is one of the best, I mean, being a teacher is great, right? Every once in a while you'd have an emergency where you had to like run out to the bathroom. You're not supposed to do this. I only do this once in a while, but get up in the bathroom. And then before you enter the room, you like stand outside the door and the kids are like, just, ah, mayhem. And then you open the door and they're like, oh, shh. right. And I'm like, you guys are just, you guys are knuckleheads. <laughs> Paul is saying this, that in his presence and without, they're, they're just, they're consistent. They're true. They're who they are. But we need encouragement. We need to be reminded. Stop being passive. Work it out. Be active in your life and understanding your salvation, and do it with reverent awe. Be alert. Be aware. Be aware of how the enemy works. Be aware of how you work. Be aware of your own life. Detach from your life, and look at your life. We all love self-pity. We all love to be the victim. Detach, look, apply the salvation, and then he says this, why? Because God is working in your life. God is working in your heart right now. That's why we gather. And then last thing is this, to will and to work. There's two different ways obedience to Christ can f work itself out. One is your will, and one is your work, like your actions. And you can do, you can do the things, but your will is stubborn. Just like the boy said to me, Mr. Kelly, I'm still standing. And Paul is saying this, that God is working on your will and your actions. Here's what else is true. We can all be very stubborn. Our wills are strong, but God is working on your will of softening your will. Why? For his good pleasure, because he loves you.
for his good pleasure that you're loved more than you know, that he's not giving up on any person here, no matter what you've done, no matter what ridiculous, dark, silly thing you've done in the past, he loves you, he's not giving up on anyone, it's for his good pleasure that he loves you. When you understand that God is not giving up on you, that he loves you, you can then become active in growing because you're safe. You can grow. You can stretch yourself. You can look for ways to serve and love people when you know that you're loved and you are loved by your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to your word. We need we need to hear from you as we have uh, already this morning through your word. I pray that there would be an, an opening to grow, to confess sin, to stop habits that are self-destructive, to have the courage to examine our hearts, our lives, the choices we make, and to submit our lives to your son Jesus. Part of uh, the calling you have upon our lives is saying no to the things of this world and saying yes to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help all of us work out what you have already worked in. We love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.